Section 12 of the Treatises of Benvenuto Cellini on Goldsmithing and Sculpture by Benvenuto Cellini, translated by C. R. Ashby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Treatise on Goldsmithing, Chapter 11, about white rubies and carbuncles. I promised to tell you something about the finest sort of rubies, but before doing this, I want you to know something about another sort of ruby called the white ruby this stone is white by nature not by any heating process like the other stones mentioned above and its whiteness may be likened to the chalcedony the twin sister of the cornelian the latter has a sort of unpleasing livid pallor and for this reason is not used much i have oft found many such in the bellies of wild fowl so also the loveliest turquoises I used to be very fond of going out shooting. I made my own powder, and became such a rare fine shot that I should be ready to stand any test you like. I always shot with the simple ball, and as for the powder, well, I'll talk of that in its right place. But it was quite different from the powder commonly used. In this wise did I use to march over the Roman Campagna, at the time when the birds of passage return, and in their bellies I found stones of all sorts, turquoises, white and coloured rubies, also emeralds, and every now and again a pearl. But, as I said, these white rubies are of very little use, only you know them for rubies because of their great hardness. Of carbuncles, according to promise, I'll tell you of these, and first of what I have seen with my own eyes. In the time of Pope Clement the Seventh there turned up a certain Raugio, who was called Biagio de Bono. This man had a white carbuncle, similar to the white ruby mentioned above, but possessing so delightful a brilliance that it shone in the dark, not so splendidly perhaps as the coloured carbuncles, but still so that when you put it into a very dark place, it seemed as a glowing ember. And this did I see with my own eyes, but I must tell you in this connection an anecdote of a little old Roman gentleman. Old, did I say? Nay, very old, for his grandson was one of my shop assistants. This man came often to my place, and always had lots of pretty things to chat about. One fine day we fell a-talking about gems, and the old gentleman spake thus. Once when I was a young man, I happed to be in the Palazzo Colonna, and I saw one Jacopo Cola, a distant kinsman of mine, coming along. He was beaming all over, and he held out his closed fist to some friends who had been sitting on a bench hard by, and were just getting up. He spake thus to them. What do you think, my friends? I've made a good day today, for I've found a little stone so beautiful that it's worth many scoody and I found it in my vineyard, and I suppose it must have belonged to our ancestors, because, as you know, this vineyard lies beneath the great ruins familiar to all of you. Well, when I was coming home from work and had gone about two hundred yards, I was prompted to make water. As I was doing this and looking towards the vineyard, I fancied I saw a spark glowing at the foot of one of my vines. It seemed to me a perfect age before I could finish what I was about, when I did, I'm blessed if I could find anything, however hard I tried, so I thought I'd go back again and have another look, 
and keep my eyes fixed upon it so back i went the same way and then all of a sudden out burst the spark again well i kept looking and looking at it till see here i found this so saying he opened his fist and showed his treasure while he'd been talking a venetian ambassador who was coming along on his mule with a few servants had stopped to listen after a bit this gentleman came up close as if he wanted to hear all about this wonder of a fire being transformed into a stone then very politely accosting my poor kinsman gentlemen said he if i'm not presuming upon you or appear to be taking too great a liberty might i beg of this gentleman to allow me to look at the beautiful stone that he says he found in his vineyard at these words kohler opened his fist which he had kept locked up tight and said to the ambassador there he is look at him as much as you like the venetian gentleman who was a man of perfect manners continued with the politest language if i am not appearing too presumptuous he said i would make so bold as to ask if you sir are disposed to part with the stone and if so at what you esteem its value the poor roman whose coat was somewhat frayed and out at elbows a fact which had given the venetian pluck to drive his bargain said well it isn't exactly that i've got to sweat for my daily bread but if you're ready to pay the stone's value i don't mind obliging you look at him well now and see if you like him i shall require ten ducats of the camera for him the venetian simpered satisfaction for a bit and then spake in the fashion of those polished gentlemen much more polished than your roman who though they are examples to the world in glory are not up to your consummate venetian in speech they can't out with it fast enough one favour only i beg of you i never carry much money in my purse only i entreat you to send the jewel to me by some trusty servant of yours and i will give him what you've asked the poor roman who knew no trustier friend than himself said he would go along with him personally and winking to one of his mates to whom he told all his adversity he strode off with the ambassador who dismounted and walked beside him then the venetian in order to prevent the latter from repenting of his bargain began chatting in the most delicious manner in a manner such as only your venetian can and enough to take any roman's breath away the one listened enjoying these exquisite nothings the other prattled along as hard as he could the journey really seeming an eternity to him at length he reached his house and putting his hand into a purse in which he had a great pile of ducats of the camera he spread them out with open hand before the astonished gaze of the poor roman the latter who had gone many a long year without seeing the like of such feasted his eyes on the delicious-looking gold and then put the jewel in the ambassador's hand one two three the latter counted out the ten ducats shouting in haste to his servants that they should saddle his good horse and taking out two more ducats called out to the roman who was just going off here i say these two gold ducats i give you over and above our bargain to buy a rope to hang yourself with the proud roman couldn't make out why he was thus spoken to he fired up and wanted to make for the ambassador but our fine gentleman quickly mounted his horse and sped away from rome later on it transpired that he had had the jewel perfectly set and gone off with it to constantinople where a new prince had ascended the throne 
owing to the rarity of the stone he asked and received for it a fabulous sum with which he afterwards betook himself again to venice that's all i ever heard of this kind of carbuncle End of section twelve.